The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. What is up? Welcome to episode 27 of the On the Farm podcast, a Dynasty Baseball podcast brought to you by PitcherList.com. My name is Andy Patton. I'm the Dynasty Content Manager here at PitcherList, and I'm joined on this episode by two of the best prospect minds in the game right now, Trevor Huth and Shelley Bergstraight, each who were recently promoted to manager roles here at PL. Welcome. Happy New Year to both of you. Congratulations on your new roles. How are you guys doing? Good. Good. Just a relaxing day after uh, New Year's Eve, ready to talk about the uh, topic we got going on today. and. Well, you know, you mentioned uh, me being a manager now, so I'm the uh, new new podcast manager around PitcherList. So if you guys disagree with me at all, I can just, you know, take you out of the podcast and we'll just move on. So no pressure. Perfect. Uh, yeah. And um, I just really just want to say just Happy New Year uh, to everyone. Uh, 2020 obviously was uh, just a major struggle for everyone and we're in a year a new year so i am excited to talk about you know this first year player mock draft that we have and also just be in a new year you stole my really beautiful transition which was speaking of firsts we're going to talk about the first year player mock draft that's why I get paid the big bucks as the podcast host is to come up with dumb transitions like that. Uh, but yeah, we're going to talk about a first-year player mock draft that 12 staffers here at PitcherList completed uh, about a month ago or so. So we got 60 new dynasty targets to talk about, all who were either taken in the 2020 MLB draft, who were signed as international free agents, are soon to be signed as international free agents because, as we know, the uh, J2 signing period got moved back because of the wonkiness that was the year 2020. Uh, I'm going to post a link to the draft board in the show notes, so for those of you who are listening along, you can click on that and follow along visually while listening to us discuss the picks. Uh, we're going to go pick by pick through at least the first round. Then we're going to kind of talk about the guys in bunches after that. Uh, but we're going to start out with the first overall pick in the draft, which was held by Trevor. He went with Spencer Torkelson, first base slash maybe third baseman for the Detroit Tigers. Trevor, <laughs> walk us through that pick there. Yeah, well, I think one of the important things to point out here is that if we're going to try to make this as realistic as possible, um, you know, to make the, the first-year player mock draft as, as good as possible, it's important for me to have the first pick because I probably came in last in whatever league I was playing in. So uh, now, now that I'm up top, I, I just had to do the same thing that I was uh, 
uh, imploring the Detroit Tigers to do during the real draft, and that is to not overthink it. Um, you know, I'm a Tigers fan, so I'm just saying, don't overthink this. You just you take Spencer Torkelson. He's the best player that you're going to get. You need a bat. He's a bat. He's a you know a pretty reliable bat as far as, far as you're going to get from the draft. So um, he, he's got big power potential. Um, you know, I, I I don't worry about him hitting even a little bit. The defensive home conversation is one I've had a lot, and it always comes down to for me the Tigers didn't draft him to play defense. Um, so technically, they drafted him as a third baseman. You can throw him at first. You can put him in, in the outfield. I mean, I think he can handle third base. The only reason he really didn't uh, at, at Arizona State, and this is per the coach, is that they had Gage Workman there. And Gage Workman defensively is is one of the best defenders, was one of the best defenders in college baseball. Um, I think he'll transition to be a shortstop at the next level with who else but the Detroit Tigers. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I just, this was a case of... Uh, I don't overthink it. The draft started, and I immediately said I want Spencer Torkelson, and um, now he's on my fake team. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't think there's much debate here. This seems pretty darn cut and dry uh, for the first pick. Uh, the second pick here was where things – I don't think they differed too much. Uh, it was Austin Martin selected by going deep manager Scott Chu. Uh, Shelley. I, a, I'm just assuming you think Spencer Torkelson should be the first pick. Maybe you disagree. You can tell us if that's the case. But uh, assuming that that uh, is Martin, who you would go with at number two? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I had the uh, fourth pick in this draft, and I didn't think that I would get Austin Martin. But I, <laughs> in in one of my dynasty leagues that I am rebuilding, um, I do have the second pick, and I'm really hoping to to, you know, kind of get Austin Martin or Torque, but I'm mm-hmm. just really banking on getting Martin there. I just think that he is just an extremely great bat, and I do think that he's going to move fast in the Blue Jay system. Yeah, I, I have him in a in a dynasty league as well, and I, the the main question with him is kind of just where he's going to play. Toronto obviously has uh, a really established infield at this point, even with Vlad moving off of third base. They have Jordan Groshans, who's likely going to play there. Uh, Biggio and Bichette, very young middle infield. So looks like Martin's getting pushed to the outfield. I don't know if that changes your guys' stance on him or if you think that maybe he'll still find him find his home in the infield. But regardless, I think that bat plays really well. I totally agree. Whether it's mm-hmm. on, whether it's on the dirt or the grass, that bat's going to play. Yep, absolutely. Uh, third pick was from Kyle Sheffield Brown. He took Nick Gonzalez, a shortstop out of Pittsburgh. Gonzalez is one of my favorite guys in this draft. Uh, I got to watch him a fair amount in college. He has just a really, really loud hit tool, really advanced bat, uh, and a guy that I'm really excited to see what he can do. Uh, Trevor, we'll go to you on this one. Uh, is he a guy you have at number three or what are your thoughts on him going forward? I think he makes a push at number two for me, honestly. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's hard to knock Martin for, for all the reasons that, uh, that Shelly just said, and uh, Martin's a great player, man. I just love um, Nick Gonzalez's hands. And by that, of course, I mean, like you know, he's got these, you, you mentioned his explosive offensive ability and, and he had the gaudy numbers, but, He's just got great hands, and it's kind of the same. And obviously, I'm not making a comparison here. Um, so if you're hearing this and you're thinking, 
Trevor's making comparison. He's not, other than the fact that when you hear people talk about good hands, Wander Franco also has good hands. Um, yeah. Carter Keboom was, was lauded for his hands, too. So mm-hmm. I just, that's what, what helps him so much, I think, on the offensive side of the ball. And, and that's really the reason, because you know, his hitting environment was, was helpful to him, which is why you can't really look at his gaudy numbers and go, oh, man. But like he was impressive in that short stint before the, uh, the season got canceled. So I, I love the hitting ability. I don't know where he's going to play defensively. He's kind of not you know, a, a stellar defender. He might end up being a second baseman. But from an offensive standpoint, I, 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 he's definitely up there. Might be number two for me right behind Torkelson. All right, Shelly, you're up next. You picked fourth overall. You decided to go with the first pitcher of the draft, uh, Kansas City left-hander Asa Lacy. Uh, thoughts on Lacy? Uh, yeah. Um, honestly, like with the fourth pick, I I thought that maybe Gonzalez would fall to me to four. Uh, mm-hmm. but you know, Scott and and Kyle kind of like snap. Uh, you know, kind of snipe snipe me there. But I do think that mm-hmm. Asa Lacy is the best starting pitcher in the draft class. Um, j- just for production. Um, I mean, he's 6'4", 215. Like, he looks like a pitcher. Yeah. Um, and I honestly, what Kansas City has done, they, they just, you know, they just draft uh, college-ready college ready pitchers, and they, they just promote them really quickly. And I do mm-hmm. think that Asa Lacey is really already a – pretty much MLB ready starter um in my opinion like i he, he has a little bit of work to do but i just think that he was just the best pitcher and i know that he's going to give me production very very quickly and i do think it's going to be very good production so Asa Lisi is absolutely um the best pick here in my opinion yeah, I I usually am hesitant to take pitching in like the first round of first year player mocks. I tend to favor hitting over pitching. Having said that, I do like Lacey a lot. He's a very advanced arm. I think he's safer than a lot of other pitching prospects, uh, certainly in this draft and just in general. Um, but the next pick was Zach Veen, the outfielder from Colorado. Uh, Trevor, I'm curious if you were picking here. Um, if you would have gone Lacey or Veen, or if there was somebody else that you may have had in mind, there's a handful of guys that I think this is kind of the spot in the draft where I think more often than not, Torkelson, Martin, Gonzalez are going to be your top three. Not always, but I think that they're fairly safe right there. And this is kind of the spot where you might see some drafts diverge. So I'm curious, Trevor, what you think you would have done there and what you think about Veen in general. I think I probably would have gone Veen. Um, I, I might have gone Max Meyer too. Um, maybe if I was feeling, uh, uh, lucky, I might, I might even jump to, uh, Heston Kerstad for, for a number of different reasons, but I, I like the Veen pick here. I mean, it's a pretty straight up pick. It's, it's the first, uh, prep player that's going to be taken mm-hmm. this draft. And that comes with a little bit more in, inherent risk, but man, Veen is just a hitter. He's got all the skills you might want, um, a, a guy coming out of high school to show, uh, as a professional hitter, and of course he's got that big power 
and he's in Colorado, which is just endlessly exciting that he might be able to call Cora's home. Now, the downside to him being in Colorado is that uh, he's in Colorado, and they don't uh, <laughs> like prospects or or like to call them up. So um, he's really going to have to prove himself in the minor leagues for for Colorado to just for the Rockies to just be like, all right, well, we're going to go with this prospect because they've had some mm-hmm. good ones that they've just kind of I hate to say it ruined. So yeah, you hope that doesn't happen with Veen, but skill wise, he's absolutely uh, up at the top of this draft mm-hmm. and a ton of fun. And I'm looking forward to see what he can do with his career. Yeah, absolutely agree. Uh, I'm cautiously optimistic because of the Rockies. Um, Veen's so young at this point, like who knows if they will still have the same people in charge, uh, if he will get traded, if other Rockies players uh, who are ahead of him right now will get traded. It's it's really hard to predict. That's why first-year player drafts are uh, difficult to to assess at the time, obviously. But but from a pure upside perspective, it's hard to to not think Veen is, is a top, certainly top five, maybe top two or three, uh, just in terms of what he can do with the stick. Sixth pick, Jack took Max Meyer, uh, who you kind of alluded to, Trevor, the second pitcher off the board, went to the Miami Marlins, a team that seems to be flush with young pitching talent already. Uh, Shelly, uh, thoughts on Meyer and, and his spot here at number six? Um, I really do like it. Um, I mean, obviously, I went Lacey over Meyer, so I do think that Lacey is a more complete pitcher, but Meyer is mm-hmm. Very, very excited, especially with that slider. Like that slider is absolutely lethal. Um, and then with what Miami has done with their pitching, uh, pitching development, I do think that they could, you know, they could bring him along to maybe be a number two, number three type starter. Um, I'm hoping that Meyer can, you know, maybe develop a few more pitches. Um, mm-hmm. but even if he doesn't, that dude, he, that, that slider. Oh my gosh. Like I, I've seen so many videos of that thing and it's so good. Um, yeah. um, but yeah, Miami has a really, really good thing going. Um, and I'm really excited to see what he does. Agreed. I mean, you look at their pitching that they have right now, it's so solid with, with Sixto and Pablo and everybody else. They've just, they've developed pitching so well at the top and I'm excited to see what they can do with Meyer. Next up, I kind of thought that he would go higher. That would be Garrett Mitchell, the outfitter from the Brewers who went to call in at number seven. Uh, I don't know exactly who I would have him over, but I've seen him top five in a handful of places. Uh, I like this fit a lot. The Brewers absolutely have a type. They've always had a type. Uh, I've written up the the Milwaukee's farm system for a handful of years, uh, both here and at Prospects 1500 for the last like three or four seasons. And they're just flush with really, really, really toolsy outfielders. And they haven't hit on as many of them as you would have hoped, although they turned a few of them into Christian Yelich. So that worked out just fine for them. But Mitchell's the kind of next guy in a long line, and I think the tools here are, are really loud and potentially really, really exciting. Uh, Trevor, I'll go to you first on, on your thoughts on getting Mitchell at number seven in this draft. Yeah, and, and before I talk about Mitchell, I just want to share a tidbit. I talked to Reed Detmers a little bit before the draft. I did a podcast with him, and uh, uh, just my favorite answer from him, I asked him what pitch he would steal from any other anybody else in the draft class. He chose Max Meyer's slider. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And I just wanted to throw that out there because that's that's a legit pitch, as as Shelley was saying. Uh, in terms mm-hmm. of Mitchell, 
I am, I don't know. I'm kind of a low guy on Mitchell. I feel like he's got a lot of people either love him or hate him. I'm not necessarily, I don't hate him. I think he's got a lot of skills. I'm kind of on the lower end though. Um, because his swing is, I think his swing is good. He just, he hit a lot of ground balls. Um, and I know that, that, you know, that might be an easy thing to fix, but I don't want to bet on something you haven't really seen. Uh, so, you know, he, he's hitting the ball on the ground a lot at UCLA and, um, he does have some power there. I don't know if it's going to be over the fence power, gap power. There's just a lot of questions for him. Um, I think, but this, you know, he's got all of the, uh, skills there and he's got the, um, foundation, I think to build on and, and certainly the brewers, I think could do something good with him. But for right now, um, I just have a lot of questions. And so I might personally be avoiding him in first year player drafts. And, uh, I sincerely think that this is one of them that will come back to, uh, to haunt me. But as of right now, I just can't get myself to do it. If you were picking right here, Trevor, at number seven with the players who have already been selected off the board, who do you think you would take? Uh, either Hancock or Kerstad, I think. Yeah. Um, maybe Hendrick also or Mick Abel because I've been known to be way too high on, on prep pitchers. Um, <laughs> and the other one, the sleeper guy, is uh, Ed Howard because I, I heard that uh, a lot of good things about him um, from the alternate site. So uh, those are probably a few guys I would take over um, – Mitchell at seven. Shelly, I'll, I'll, I'll pose the same question to you before we move on to number eight. If you were picking at number seven, was Mitchell the guy you'd go with or somebody else? Um, Honestly, I think that I would go with Mitchell because I'm willing to kind of like take a gamble there because I did like what he did um, um, while he was at um, in college. Um, mm-hmm. But maybe uh, Kim Hai Seung just mm-hmm. just to get some MLB ready talent. Yeah. Um, but I do like uh, how Trevor went with like Ed Howard. Ed Howard mm-hmm. because I love that dude. I love that dude. And I think too, like one thing that it's always always worth pointing out for people who are listening who have upcoming first year player drafts, like it depends a lot on the situation that your team is in clearly yes. uh, and that that has a huge impact with a guy like Kim Ha-sung who is going to be in the major leagues next year like definitively that's going to happen and so if you need talent now and you believe in what he's capable of doing like he's probably going to be higher on your draft board than certainly than some of the guys who are multiple years away uh, obviously you look at a guy like like Shelly alluded to Martin is a guy who could be in the big leagues kind of soon and and you know Garrett Crochet was drafted in June and he made his major league debut last year so it's not like it never happens but uh, it does kind of depend on on where your team situation is. So, uh, pick number eight was was Kim Ha Uh He was a free agent at the time of this draft. He's now obviously with the San Diego Padres. Um, Trevor, I'll throw to you on just kind of your thoughts on him in particular, and and maybe where you would value him in this format. Yeah, he fell, um, and when we drafted, he was a free agent. I think he's got to be up up at the top now, and that's just you know I'm not going to speak much on his skill set because I just don't. No, honestly, and, and um, I haven't done my due diligence on him quite yet. But it's just worth noting, like you said, that he is going to be a—he's um, going to be in the majors. So right. if you're looking for an immediate return, you're not really taking a risk with a guy who's going to hopefully be able to get you something right away. And so I, I think there's a lot of value there. So I'm sure that he jumps up from eight, 
and in, it, honestly, you're probably just deciding if in top two if you want Torkelson, Martin, or or uh, you know Kim Ha Song. So <laughs> I, I think that that his situation is going to make him more valuable immediately than maybe what he'll he'll return in the first year but he's definitely got a, an intriguing skill set from what i've heard i just don't want to speak on it because i don't really know that much and i think judging kbo hitters has proven to be pretty difficult uh, some of them have have migrated over here and and had some 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 success excuse me some of them have not uh obviously the velocity that you see in the kbo is dramatically different uh chris flexen who just signed with the seattle mariners he was 93.6 was his average fastball velocity in the kbo that was second in the entire league uh, that would not be anywhere close to second in the major leagues uh velocity certainly isn't everything and there's something to be said for how well he hit in the kbo but there is definitely some risk baked in, but the skills that people have discussed with him and, and being in San Diego, which I think is a decent landing spot for him. Uh, yeah. The, the immediate return makes him a lot more valuable than even some of the potentially higher ceiling prospects that would go around him in this format. Number nine, I'm going to throw to you, Shelly, because I know you like this guy. That's Emerson Hancock, a pitcher for the Seattle Mariners selected by Philip Wells. Uh, I obviously, I follow the, the Mariners uh, really closely. I'm working on their top 50 list as well. Uh, they've done a good job of drafting a lot of pitching in the last few years, which usually makes me a little bit nervous, uh, but they seem to have some guys who are really on the verge of being really high quality major leaguers, uh, Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, and now Hancock in that mix as well. Uh, what are your thoughts on him as the third pitcher off the board and third college arm off the board as well? Um, honestly, I like it. Um, Emerson mm -hmm. Hancock is just like the, the, just the, the, the college polished pitcher that you just expect when drafted. He has command. He has the frame. He has the pitch mix. You know what he has done throughout his college career. Um, and then adding just kind of like what Seattle has done with their pitching development you, um, in the minor leagues. Um, I absolutely love this pick. Um, so Philip did very well getting Iverson Hancock um, with the ninth pick. Um, I mean, I just think that he's just going to be an absolute contributor for your team. Uh, maybe in a year and a half, two years. Um, mm -hmm. This guy is just really good. He has good fastball. He's going to change up. Um, you know, he's a, an average slider um, and an average curveball with above average command, which is key. And I just think that he's just going to be an all-around just great pitcher. So it's a great pick. Number three, starter off the board, like I said, behind Lacey at number four, Max Meyer at number six, Hancock went ninth. And then after that, we kind of had a run before we got to our next college pitcher, which was Reed Detmers at number 16. Uh, I'm curious, Trevor, uh, just out of those, I mean, those I think are pretty clearly the top four college arms. Maybe you disagree. Maybe you have Kate Cavalli or somebody else a little bit higher, but where would you rank those guys just in terms of as starting pitchers uh, in this draft? That's tough. Those are definitely the top four for me. I'm not going to pull any hot takes and surprise people. Um, <laughs> you know, I that's kind of tough because because really, um, in terms of fantasy, I think Detmers is 
where he wound up in this draft, where he's at the the bottom of the uh, the four. And that's not again, and nothing against Reed Detmers. He's one of my favorite players in this entire draft. But if you're talking fantasy, you're going to have higher um, potential value brought back with your Lacey Meyer or Hancock. And between those three, man, it's just it's a toss up. I think I might have Hancock at two, but uh, I think Lacey's a pretty clear one. So I probably go as I talk this through because I had no idea this was coming. This question was coming. I'd probably Sorry. go Lacey Hancock. Right I'd probably go Lacey Hancock Meyer and uh, and then Detmers. Love it. Um, so I'm going to now throw a question at Shelley because we're just we're we're only like nine picks in, but I'm just going to start just fireballing at you guys. Why not? Uh, so the next four picks in this draft, ten through fourteen, were all outfielders. Uh, Robert Hassel the third went to San Diego or went to Vincent in the draft is with the Padres in the actual draft. Uh, Nathan took Heston Kerstad at number eleven, and then I took Pete Crow Armstrong from the Mets and Austin Hendrick from the Reds at twelve and thirteen. Uh, four outfielders. Uh, I'm curious, Shelley. We'll start with you. Just kind of your thoughts on those four guys. Uh, maybe if there's any that kind of stand out to you above the rest. Um, I mean, I I like all those guys. I really do. Um, but. As much as I'm looking into like a lot of like first year player draft kind of recaps and whatever, I really do think that Hudson said is kind of getting like sleep done. Um, yeah. his power is real; it's just off the charts, and his hitchel is mm-hmm. not that bad. Yeah. So, yes, I do think that he was way overdrafted, like where the uh, where the uh, where Baltimore took him, but I do think that he is a legit dude, and I would take him definitely before the other guys that you mentioned. Yeah, I was really hoping that Kierstad was going to fall to me at number twelve. If I could have gotten Kierstad and Pete Crow Armstrong at the turn, I would have been ecstatic. Not that I'm yes. disappointed with. With Crow Armstrong and Hendrick, uh, I still thought that was really solid. And this isn't even a knock on Robert Hassel. We kind of skipped over him. I think he's solid too. And I don't think that he's a bad pick at number 10, but I think I probably, I'm, I'm trying to talk myself into it. I think I might have taken all three of the other outfielders before Hassel. Uh, I'm not 100% on that right now because I didn't do as much research on Hassel because he wasn't available when it came to my turn. But I really like Pete Crow Armstrong. I think you're talking about a guy with tons of speed, uh, should hit for a good average. The power is developing. You know, he's not the next Jared Kelenic. Sorry, Mets fans. He's probably not going to reach that potential. But I do think that he's very good and uh, I'd be more than happy with him at this spot in a first year mock. Uh, and then Hendrick, obviously, high school bat, but still. Uh, Tons of raw power, uh, pretty projectable. Obviously, there's always risk in a younger guy like that. But uh, yeah, I think out of this group of four outfielders, um, I'm pretty content with the two that I got. Uh, and I do think that Kierstad is probably the one I would want the most out of that group. All right. Second pick of the second round, Mick Abel. I was really close to taking him uh, when I had Hendrick, obviously, uh, Abel. Went to Jesuit High School, which is right near where I grew up. I saw him pitch a few times in high school. Uh, saw a lot of tape on him. Obviously, extremely exciting young man. Has got incredible stuff. Uh, 
built like a major league caliber pitcher already as an eight, as an 18 year old kid. Um, but I do hesitate on prep arms. It, it is something that uh, they're just, it's, it's a long road to get from there to, to being a major leaguer and there's injuries and ineffectiveness and, and things that, that seem to hurt prep pitchers more than any other group. Uh, but having said that, Abel definitely looks like somebody who could buck that trend. Uh, Trevor, what are your thoughts on Mick Abel? Yeah, I love Mick Abel. Um, he was not one of the top prep pitchers um, I had until we got closer to the draft, and then he became the top prep pitcher in my mind. Um, mm-hmm. It was really him and Bitsko at the top for me, and, and then uh, especially now after the unfortunate news on, on Bitsko and, and his uh, surgery, I mean, it's pretty mm-hmm. much able at the top for me right now. And, and um, he throws hard already. Um, I, I think reports say that he's he's upper 90s already and, and still more to fill out the frame. So if he does that the right way, if the Phillies can help him to do that the right way, you're talking about a guy who can throw really hard. Um, I, I like his secondaries, and I, I think that, you know, it, it, with as much risk as you can get out of out of prep arms, I think uh, Abel is a, a good one to uh, take a bet on. And, and the thing is, sometimes you just got to wait on prep arms. I mean, Mackenzie Gore wasn't Mackenzie Gore immediately. Matt Manning wasn't right. Matt Manning immediately. And those are just two examples off the top of my head. And obviously, uh, history is not on the side of the, uh, the prep pitcher, but, you know, there's more data readily available now for them to make decisions on. So maybe that trend will start to reverse itself. And uh, even if it doesn't, sometimes prep pitchers make it. And I think Abel's got as good a chance as anybody. Yeah, you actually took the point that I was going to make, which is that I think that that trend is probably going to change because we have more data on high school pitchers than we have in the past. And when you look at like the 70s and 80s and you saw this high school kid dominating and you just you didn't have as much data on like the quality of opponent and they weren't necessarily going to perfect game and and doing a lot of those things. So I think I'm guessing that when guys get picked in the first round as high school pitchers now, there's probably a lot more uh, data driven decision making, which hopefully will mean that there'll be less busts at that spot. Uh, I don't, I, I can't prove that that's going to be the case. Uh, I'm sure there will be research done on that topic, but Abel looks like as good a bet as anybody to potentially buck that trend. Shelly, I know you were also a Mick Abel fan, so I was going to give you a shot if there was anything you wanted to say on him before we moved on. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I totally echo, uh, um, you know, what Trevor said. Um, as as a Red X fan, as I saw Abel falling and falling in the draft i was hoping that the red sox would take him yeah but unfortunately the phillies uh, uh snagged him like a couple weeks before but i do i do think that abel's gonna be like a really really good pitcher um mm-hmm. i mean like as you said like the prep pitchers are extremely volatile and extremely risky but what I've seen from him, just um, just a little bit of video that I've seen, um, and then reports that I've read, I'm totally buying in. And the you know Phillies fans should be very excited about this pick. Yeah, agreed. Fifteenth pick in the first year player draft was Ed Howard. Uh, Trevor, you touched on him a little bit earlier, so I'll start with you. Uh, shortstop for the Cubs. Uh, uh, so kind of a young, interesting guy, but obviously somebody that you sound like you're pretty high on. So I want to hear your thoughts there. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty high on Ed Howard. It's a beautiful, beautiful swing, and it it, it was it, it has been I think for a while. I mean, when I first started getting into the draft, um, 
Somebody showed me a swing of Ed Howard. I'm like, who is this guy, and why? And can he be picked number one? Not what I really <laughs> wanted, but I, I would have, you know, I just love the swing and, and his, uh, you know, his his character, his makeup is also just universally um, touted as being fantastic. And not only that, if you started to see what he was doing leading up to the draft, like he was getting him, he was putting on good weight. He was getting himself in shape. Like he has been putting in work and, you know, I, I don't have any specifics for you, but I can tell you that I've, I've heard that the alternate site, he was, he was just uh, extremely impressive there. So I really, really like uh, Ed Howard. I also kind of like that the Cubs picked him because, you know, he's a Chicago guy. So it's cool mm-hmm. that he kind of gets to have a hometown. Like He's already, I believe, really started to try to get back to the community. We've seen Hunter Green get big on that. Um, but mm-hmm. I think Ed Howard's already kind of in that process as well. So I like that he's able to stay home. I like that he works hard. Um, and it's not always important to show people on Twitter that you are lifting and working out. But, you know, it helps us personally when we're, we're trying to scout people over the computer. And um, I just, I really like what Ed Howard can be. I think that he's got a good chance to stick at shortstop um, even as a, a prep guy so they can move around. I think he's a shortstop and um, his swing is just gorgeous. If you haven't seen it, I would look it up and just plan a whole night out. Cause you're going to watch it over and over and over again. <laughs> Next pick was number 16, Reed Detmers. Uh, Trevor, I'm going to throw back to you on this one because you've spoken to Reed, and I know that you probably have a lot of insight into him as well. Uh, you kind of alluded to the fact that he uh, isn't a, maybe as big of a fantasy asset as some of the other guys, but he's certainly got a lot of polish and a guy that a lot of people thought might actually make his major league debut this year. Uh, certainly um, seemed like a vague possibility obviously we did end up seeing Garrett Crochet who we'll talk about a little bit later um but Detmers is a guy that I think there's definitely some intrigue here even if it's not as much from a fantasy perspective yeah I do like Detmers a lot I'm actually you know in the area he's from so maybe that's a little bit of bias there but I I really think Detmers is uh is great he people thought he might be the first pitcher or maybe even player to make his debut out of this draft class and Maybe he would have been in a normal year where he comes in and gets to pitch in rookie ball or whatever, but uh, that obviously didn't happen. We had Garrett Crochet do that, but uh, you know, Detmers is, uh, you know, you said you mentioned his polish, and um, he's got this really big curveball that uh, certainly I think is going to play, but I don't think it's going to play as much of a strikeout pitch as you would want, and that is going to be his, you know, I think his driving pitch. He's got a changeup, he's got a fastball, but. You know, coming from the left side, he's got that big uh, curveball, and that's what that was his calling card. So, one of the things that people like about him is that he throws strikes. I tend to, I think I maybe overvalue guys like this because if I'm in a first year player draft, past pick, like past the first round, basically, you're just gambling on like immense upside. That at least for me, not everybody feels that way. But uh, Sabato is a guy who might not hit enough to even make it or would to be like a platoon guy, but he also has just massive, massive raw power, 70 grade power hit 31 home runs. I think at North Carolina, uh, excuse me, 25 home runs at North Carolina um, with a walk rate, just under 17%. Like we're talking about a true three true outcomes guy. Like this is a dude who's going to walk a lot. He's going to strike out a lot and he's going to hit a lot of home runs and uh, already having that profile before you've played a professional game is not usually a good thing but certainly there have been tons of fantasy relevant guys who uh, 
fit that profile. Obviously, your Adam Dunn's and your Jim Tomies and so on and so forth. And for every one of those, there's a Christian Stewart who just never quite seems to to put it all together. So uh, that's kind of where I'm at with Sabato. I would be willing to take a shot here. I'm curious, uh, either of you, Shelly or Trevor, if 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 that's a profile that scares you away from taking them in first year player drafts, or if those are the kind of guys that you might be willing to go for just because of the upside. Um, I guess I'll kind of like cut in here. Um, it, um, it scares me. Um, Aaron Spotter mm-hmm. like really does like that profile is very scary. And then also that he went to Minnesota that already has a lot of free swinging yeah. corner out corner infield outfield whatever just kind of bats i just it it scares me too much uh yeah it it totally could click and it would be great but yeah i'm just kind of moving away from aaron sabato as much as i want to just believe in that power i i think it i think he's he'd be fine just not you know this high up in the second round, I get the appeal. Um, mm-hmm. One of my, uh, a, co- a guy I use as a co-manager in, in some of my uh, dynasty leagues, he drafts home runs and walks. So, I mean, that, that's, mm-hmm. that's the profile here. And uh, you know, he's won a few leagues and, and uh, so I get it. I wouldn't draft him this high personally, um, especially when you look at the draft we have going on right now. And, Let's just throw out a name. Garrett Crochet is still on the board. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, uh, there's just a lot of of safer picks I think you can make uh, at number two. And obviously, this is going to be a, a pot and kettle situation when you get to my next couple picks here. But I just I think it was better to go safer uh, than Aaron Sabato here. But when you drop into like the third round, maybe if he's still around, I would have no problem uh, grabbing Aaron Sabato. Yeah, the, the next few picks after Sabato were Austin Wells from the Yankees, uh, Cade Cavalli and Nick Bisco, a couple of injury-prone right-handers, uh, Taylor Soderstrom, who Shelley took at 21, and then Crochet at 22. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd go Sabato here. I, I don't think I dislike it as much as you guys, but I definitely prefer Wells. Uh, I definitely prefer Crochet. Uh, I'm kind of down on the on the arms, uh, obviously Bitsko clearly has injury now, which certainly hurts his value. Uh, Cavalli, I'm, I'm writing up the nationals list right now. And I just, they have so many of the same guy, so many of the same exact guy. It's very strange. Like when you look at Jackson Rutledge and you look at Cade Cavalli and you look at Cole Henry and you look at, uh, Mason Denneberg, it just goes on and on and on. And, I hope he can stay healthy, but he's somebody that makes me a little bit nervous too. So this is kind of a strange spot in the first year player draft. I don't know, like Abel, Howard, and Detmers were all pretty clearly like like guys I would take in that spot. Fourteen to sixteen is perfect, and then after that, like I think for me, and I'll let you guys kind of weigh in on this. My next pick is probably Crochet, and then maybe Wells. Um, but I'm curious, just as we finish out this this round here, kind of who who you. Th- think you like the best out of this group yeah of the untaken guys i like crochet a lot obviously um i wells is good i would still probably take a chance on on cavalli and um i I mean i also like who i picked but i think we're gonna get there later so i won't spoil all the fun but um outside of that i think you're kind of right where where if we're talking about where sabato was taken i think you're looking at wells or um, crochet, or if you didn't know about the collarbone injury, uh, Bitsko. But 
that's kind of uh, where I'm at there. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I kind of feel the same. Um, I mean, I took, you know, you know, a, a catcher in in the mm. second round, so maybe you probably shouldn't listen to me. Uh, <laughs> um, I took a Dodger, so we're kind of in the same boat. I don't know why we're on this podcast. Exactly, <laughs> but I mean, like, like Crochet, like I mean, he made the major leagues this year, and. You know, Cavalli is very interesting, and there are some other, you know, players around there. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if I would have taken uh, Sabato with the 17th pick. I understand it. I just wouldn't do it. So, Shelly, I'm going to throw back to you then on the on the Soderstrom pick at 21. Uh, obviously, Wells is off the board. Uh, I don't think that you were gunning for a catcher necessarily here. Uh, I, I, I assume not anyway, but... Uh, what drew you to him uh, at that spot? Um, honestly, it is um, the bat. I mean, I don't necessarily think that he could stick behind the plate. Um, hmm. But I, I I, don't know. I get like um, some Josh Donaldson kind of vibes where he moved okay. from catcher maybe towards the, you know, towards the dirt. At, but what I liked from Tyler Soderstrom is just the ability to hit the ball. And I'm totally cool with baking on people who can hit the ball, even if they are a prep player. I'll take a gamble there. Um, I, I like what I saw. I like the, the swing and just everything. I'm hoping that he can stick a catcher. Not exactly sure. But... So I will take the gamble on, um, you know, just a guy who could actually hit. So next up was Crochet, who we've talked about a handful of times already at number 22. 23rd pick was Christian Hernandez. 24th pick is when we get to you, Trevor. You took Bobby Miller from the Dodgers, uh, and then you started out round three with Nick York, second baseman from the Red Sox. Uh, I'll let you talk touch on those two guys and if you have thoughts on the guys who went between Shelly and Trevor and your picks you can talk on them too yeah I uh we've talked quite a bit about some of those guys so I'm gonna just jump to uh Bobby Miller and Nick York and and Miller is a Dodger so there's immediately what scares you about him um there's <laughs> also probably some reliever risk there but but you worry about the Dodgeritis I get that but when now you're we're at 24 overall and uh Miller's got arguably a plus plus fastball. I mean, to me, that was kind of just a. Uh, I can't sit on that and and hope he falls farther just because people are scared of the Dodgers. Um, I also like his slider quite a bit. Um, I think that is an above average pitch. I think his changeup is probably somewhere around average. So he's already got three pitches um, that I would personally grade out average or higher, and and his he's got a curveball too that's close. But I don't, you know, I don't think it's quite there yet. But so you're talking about four pitches. He's got pretty good control. You know, it's tough to pass on that. I think, especially if you're just looking at a plus plus slider with some control, or a plus plus fastball rather with some control. Um, I wasn't going to sit on on Bobby Miller anymore. And I know he plays for the Dodgers. That's a little scary because the Dodgers um, are notoriously tough. But I think that the talent upside was worth it here. Um, and you know, you'll notice a trend anyway, when I take a Rocky a little bit later. And when you talk about Nick York, um, I think he much like Kerstad is just taking a hit because of 
where he was drafted. People thought they got overdrafted, so, oh, he must be bad. But that, that's not really the case. I mean, yeah. uh, Nick York was certainly, yes, overdrafted by the, uh, by the Red Sox, but I, I like the bat a lot. Um, I was watching one of the last uh, alternate site games because the Red Sox were the only team to stream them, and thank you, Boston <laughs> Red Sox. Uh, I was watching because Brian Mata was starting. I had literally just written about him the day before, and uh, somebody was, hey, Mata's going to be starting. I go, well, I might as well check that out, and all of a sudden, you hear the broadcasters go, and getting his first at bat now uh, for the alternate site is Nick York. Like, oh, great, I get to see this guy. First at bat, he pulls what would have been a double if there were outfielders. There were no outfielders, so they just gave him a double. But, like, he just showed up and did that against a pretty, you know, highly touted prospect in in Brian Mata. So I was just bought in immediately. I love the swing. I think his uh, he's gotten a, a above average, if not plus hit tool. Um, I think the power is going to be questionable throughout his career, but I think he'll he'll find something there. And and I absolutely loved that pick for the Red Sox and. Uh, I probably reached a little bit at the beginning of the third round in a first-year player draft, but I did that because I wanted to talk about him and put him on a platform and say, watch out for this guy. So if you're listening and you're still with us, watch out for this guy because he's on a platform now since I took him and reached for him. Um, but I, I like York a lot, and I think uh, I think he's just an overall solid player. He's going to be one of those players who's got a bag of average tools. Look at your Bryce Terangs, your Jonathan India type if in terms of profile and um, I like him a little better than both of those guys. Next two picks, 26 and 27, were Daniel Cabrera, outfielder for the Tigers, and Justin Foscu, second baseman for the Rangers, who I think suffered a, a kind of a similar fate to York uh, in the sense that he was overdrafted and people were kind of low on him. I am lower on Foscu than I am on York. I would definitely think I would prefer York. Uh, and then at 28 was Bryce Jarvis. Uh, Shelly, you took him there. Uh, so far through your draft, you have two pitchers and a catcher, <laughs> which is very, very different than my draft. Um, but obviously, I think, you know, when you're in a first year player draft and you're doing a mock and you don't actually have a dynasty roster that you're trying to build, you just kind of take <laughs> take the guys that you like. So um, I'm curious your thoughts on obviously Jarvis at this spot uh, and, and why you went with him. Uh, yeah, it wasn't necessarily the plan going into this mock to take, you know, you know, pitcher, catcher, pitcher um, at all. Um, but I was actually really happy to have Jarvis kind of come back to me with the um, <clears throat> in the third round. I mean, he was pitching extremely well at Duke uh, before the shutdown, um, you know, in his second his second game, I mean, he threw a perfect game with 15 strikeouts. And I was just watching some video, and I just, like, really, really like what I saw. Um, and, I mean, the Diamondbacks, they, they have a little thing going there. And I'm just going to take a gamble on what I saw when uh, Jarvis was at Duke. And I do think that he could probably make the major leagues and contribute to my roster. Like, you know, maybe a mid rotation, you know, maybe four or five starter. I honestly think that he could be a mid rotation starter. I like what, you know, what Bryce was doing. Um, and I'm totally bought in. Um, again, like I, it's not necessarily like the best kind of draft, um, mm. going pitcher and catcher. Um, 
But, you know, Jarvis is a really, really interesting arm, and I do think that he could move quickly. I think, you know, when you, if you're looking at specifically pitchers, as I've kind of bagged on them a bit, uh, you want ones that you think can be quick to the big league type guys because there's just less room for, for things, negative things to happen. And, and Jarvis definitely strikes me as that kind of guy. I don't, I don't dislike this pick at all. I just like, you know, giving you crap about having a really weird <laughs> positional team so far, but I also don't ultimately think that matters. I, I took, I think I took three outfielders. Yeah, I took my first three picks were all outfielders. So who am I to to talk at this point? <laughs> all right. Uh, the next seven picks were all position players. In fact, Shelly, you took the only uh, the next eight, nine, ten. Oh my gosh, the next lot pick, <laughs> players picked were we, we had a long run before we got to their next pitcher. Uh, you took the only pitcher in the third round. Uh, so I'm just going to kind of rattle off the next few names and just have you guys kind of talk about which of those names maybe stand out to you. Uh, obviously, at this point in a in a first year player draft, it's kind of hard to uh, to. Sp- rank everybody specifically it'll kind of depend a little bit more on your team needs and your contention window so we can kind of touch on on which of these players might fit in some of those boxes a little bit better but number 29 was shortstop wilman diaz number 30 was mason Wynn, shortstop for the cardinals 31 was isaiah green another outfielder for the mets uelki cespedes free agent outfielder went 32nd dylan dingler pitcher for the tigers 33rd carlos colmenares shortstop uh, is a free agent right now. He went 34th. Uh, and then another catcher, Patrick Bailey, uh, before we get to my pick, which we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, Zach Deloche from the Mariners at 36. Uh, Trevor, do any of these names kind of stand out to you uh, as kind of guys that you might be interested in targeting in first-year player drafts? Yeah, of course, Dylan Dingler, because he got drafted by the Tigers, which means he's a future Hall of Famer. But uh, <laughs> if I'm making a serious run at it, I'm going to go with Mason Wynn um, because we have him down as a shortstop but he is a shortstop right-handed pitcher um he's a two-way player he's really good at both um you know i i he's got average to above average tools i think all across his uh, all across hitting and defense and uh he he brings an arguably double plus fastball and a plus curveball and he's just got so much to like on both sides of the ball but I was just talking, um, having this conversation with with some people, and it's tough to do that. I don't, you know, to to reach his potential, he's probably going to have to focus on one side of the ball, um, which sucks because he's got potential. But there's just not enough hours in a day, is what it comes down to. And that's not a knock on him one way or the other. That's just a knock on the fact that it's really tough to do. I mean, um, you remember Hunter Green came in as a uh, uh, as a two-way player, and Hunter Green is now a pitcher. Uh, Brendan McKay yep. came in as a two-way player. Brendan McKay is now a pitcher, and I don't know if that's uh, what Wynn is going to be doing, but he's certainly really interesting right now because he's just uber-athletic, and he's he's got so much talent, uh, baseball talent. It's just, you know, he's young, and being able to develop both sides of that to become what he could become is going to be extremely hard. And I don't know if, if the Cardinals will let him do that. I don't know if the Cardinals can do that for him. Um, so he's going to be an interesting one to watch. But if you're looking for an athletic guy who's got some skills, you got Mason Wynn. Uh, Wynn's definitely my favorite pick out of these guys because he's a two-way player, because he's super interesting. Um, he's certainly more of a risk, as you kind of alluded to. But 
you know, when you're in the third round of a first year player draft and you could take a two way guy, like I kind of think I see the appeal. I would probably do it too. Uh, Shelly, anybody uh, win or otherwise kind of stand out out of that group right there? Um, I mean, I really do. I, I, I like win. Um, but Isaiah Green, who uh, the uh, the Mets kind of picked up um, during the draft, I do think that he is really interesting. Uh, I mean, he's got a really smooth left-handed uh, swing, and he's been able, again, he's like a prep outfitter, so take with a huge grain of salt. Like, he's been able to, you know, get to, you know, the high-end velocity, and he's been able to get the barrel on the ball and just everything. And I'm willing to just take a gamble on that guy who can just hit, like, really good velocity. And, you know, maybe he can move quickly through the Mets lineup. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I've just seen video on Isaiah Green, and I just like the swing. And um, yeah, I just have really bought in with 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 Green, thinking that even though he is a you know a prep outfitter, I do think that he can just kind of just hit and move quickly um, uh, through the Mets uh, development system. I was I was planning to touch on Green, so you stole him from me there. Um, but I'll touch on uh, Carlos Colmenares, uh, who was taken 34th overall, uh, shortstop out of Venezuela. Uh, he's kind of a similar where he's just got a lot of tools. Uh, he can do a little bit of everything. It looks like uh, obviously extremely young, uh, extremely raw. But there have been some some really lofty comparisons thrown his way uh, because he's a he's big, he's very athletic, he's got good speed. They think he can stick at shortstop. Uh, you know, it's it's the kind of risk that uh, you know obviously you have to be willing to take at some point in a draft. And I think that at this point, thirty fourth overall, I'd be more than happy grabbing him, uh, even without knowing where he's going to end up. But uh, yeah, he, he's a guy that definitely uh, appeals to me for sure. Sixth is where I got to pick again. I took Zach Deloach, outfielder from the Seattle Mariners. Was really happy to still see him on the board. Uh, thought Shelley might steal him from me. Um, but Deloach, he's kind of an interesting one. Definitely kind of speaking of risk. Uh, he really wasn't good for his first couple of years in college. And then he exploded and had a really, really good summer on the Cape and then hit extremely well in 2020. But that was over, you know, just like a handful of games. Obviously, that season was so short. Um, but the Mariners obviously saw enough in him to take him 43rd overall in the draft. Uh, the breakout involved a ton of power. You know, he had six home runs in just 18 games at Texas A&M in that uh, 2020 season. Uh, so he's a guy that I really like. I'm intrigued. What uh, what the Mariners could potentially do with him? Obviously, they have a very full outfield in the next couple of years, so that will be something to monitor with what they're going to do with him. Um, but you can never have too much depth, and certainly uh, they'll find a way to play him if he hits as well as I'm hoping that he will. And then at 30, 37 was my next pick, the first pick of the fourth round. Uh, I took Jordan Walker, a uh, third baseman from the Cardinals system. Uh, just really raw power. I kind of, I didn't take Aaron Sabato, but I was kind of talking about how I like that profile about having a ton of power. Uh, and I'm willing to take gambles on those guys in drafts. This is the spot in the draft where I'm definitely willing to take that gamble at 37 overall. Um, the, the floor here is extremely low. He may not hit enough to make it at all, but the upside is like, 
you know, 70 grade power, 75 grade power in some situations. So uh, I'm really excited to see what he's able to do uh, with the Cardinals. But uh, yeah, there's obviously, obviously a ton of risk here. Next couple picks. Uh, I'm not even going to give you guys a chance to criticize my picks. Who knows? Maybe you'll say mean things. I don't know if I can <laughs> handle that. So, <laughs> um, Next couple of guys were all infielders, 38, 39, and 40, were Christian Santana, Jordan Westberg from the Orioles, and Nick Lofton from the Kansas City Royals. Uh, Trevor, do you guys, do you have thoughts on, on these three guys and, and how you would value them in, in first-year player drafts? Uh, yeah, a couple of them. Uh, Westberg and Lofton. Both, um, I've looked into shortstops a lot because I thought that uh, the Tigers, in the second with their second pick, would go with a shortstop. Um, so mm-hmm. I was looking into all of the possibilities, and if they en- ended up going with Dingler, uh, or maybe it was Cabrera, mm-hmm. one of the two, but I liked whoever they went with a lot. And uh, mm-hmm. um, so they didn't get a shortstop, but now I have leftover uh, information on some shortstops, and uh, I-, I think I would go with Lofton at the top of this group. Um, but I'm going to speak more on Westberg because he kind of fell into an interesting situation. Um, he was taken second by the Orioles, who had tried to save money with Kerstad second overall, I think, to try to get Bitsko with that. That is my, mm-hmm. my theory that will never get proven right or wrong. It's just what I believe uh, was what they, what they were trying to do. And then the Rays went and took Bitsko, so now what do you do? I think they just went with, with the guy they thought was best on the board, and that was another college player, another college bat in Westberg. And um, between Lofton and Westberg, I think that the difference is not that much. If you're looking for a higher upside guy, obviously fantasy first-year player draft, we are. I would go Lofton, but uh, Westberg's also super interesting. I was hoping that one of those two were the Tigers' pick, so um, especially at this point in the first-year player draft, I think either one will, will be uh, a good move. Shelly, did you have thoughts on that group? You can also kind of add Evan Carter. He's not a uh, infielder, but he was the next pick at 41 overall outfielder for the Rangers. Uh, yeah, I mean, like when we got to like this part of the fourth round, um, I mean, I guess I, I guess I would go Jordan Westberg just because he was drafted a bit higher. I haven't really uh, done some deep dives on Westberg, Lofton, or Carter. Um, but I would just go with Carter there, but I understand, <clears throat> and I, you know, I totally default to, um, uh, Trevor there when it comes to Lofton is probably the better pick. And I, yeah. but I do agree with Trevor that they, uh, Baltimore was hoping to get Bisco and <laughs> when Tampa took Bisco, they just kind of, uh, said, um, I don't know, we'll take someone else here. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense because otherwise, I, not again, not knocking Kirstead. We kind of talked on him earlier, but yeah, yeah. I think that it, their plan probably got foiled and they kind of ended up just having to go with Westberg here. And even though they got our- not that bad, I mean, Westberg was a solid yeah. pick again. Um, you know, we say that in a negative connotation, like he was a backup plan. If I mean, if it was, I mean, that's about as good a backup plan, I think, as you're going to get. Sure, sure. 
All right, next up, we finally got our pitcher run after going a really long time without seeing any of them. We saw five in a row, uh, five different pitchers here. Uh, Cole Wilcox from the Padres went 42. Alex Santos from the Astros, 43. Jared Kelly from the White Sox at 44. Shelly took Tanner Burns, who I really was hoping to fall to me at the end of the draft. She took him at 45. And then Carmen Lodzinski from the Pirates went 46. Uh, Trevor, I know you kind of already told me before we started recording who you liked the most out of this group. Um, so I'll uh, kind of default to you first on, on which of these arms you like. Yeah, of this group, um, I think Wilcox is going to have the most name value. Uh, mm-hmm. And that is just because he wasn't supposed to sign. Uh, he was supposed to go back for his last year at, uh, I believe it was UGA. And then mm-hmm. AJ Preller pulled his magic wand out and he said, we're going to take Wilcox in the third round. And he signed Wilcox in the third round, and then he traded Wilcox. <laughs> so um, already an interesting career for him. Uh, and obviously, Kelly's probably up there with name value, too. He was a, one of those top prep arms who worries me a lot, but people seem to be high on him. So the guy I'm going to pull out is not one of those two. Um, <laughs> that would be Alex Santos. Uh, he was the first draft pick that of the Astros, who picked, I think, first in the third round. Um, mm. But... And this is completely recency bias. I This morning, literally this morning, I was sent two videos of Alex Santos just watching what he can do. And, oh, my goodness, is that breaking ball real? His fastball <laughs> looks like it can play up in the zone. It gets a nice arm side run if you want to play it down in the zone. Like, you know, I think the Astros did the best they could uh, where they started. And Santos, I'm pretty high on him, actually. And I think that uh, especially being in the Astros organization, I think that uh, it will only help him because they have good, a good track record. So uh, I kind of like Santos the most out of this group. Jelly, obviously you took Burns, so clearly you will have some thoughts on him. But I'm curious uh, if you liked any of those other arms before you were able to, to take Burns or if that was kind of the guy you had targeted all along at that spot. Um, I was actually, I was hoping that Wilcox would actually fall to me a bit. Um, but I mean, I was super excited to take, uh, Tanner Burns. Like if I'm going to gamble on, uh, pitching prospects, like why don't you gamble on, you know, you know, Cleveland baseball team, uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, prospects. And it's just like, I mean, he has a good fastball. He has above average command. So, yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily think that he's going to be like an ace for your staff, but he's just going to be one of those Indians pitchers, right, who is just going to just just produce. And that is a guy that I'm going to take a gamble on. And, yeah, maybe he'll be a number two, number three starter. But he's gonna, he has the opportunity to be even more than number two or number three. So I just took a gamble there. Yeah, Burns was a guy that, you know, he had seemed like a pretty decent floor just coming out of college. In general, he was good at Auburn. Uh, he's got good secondaries. And then obviously he ends up in Cleveland, a team that's notorious for developing guys like this. So uh, I'm definitely intrigued to see. I don't think that his like his ceiling is super high necessarily, but I think that the floor is is pretty mm-hmm. high. And if you can get a high floor guy, you know, in the late fourth round of a first-year player mock draft, I think you're going to be pretty happy with that. Yeah. All right, pick four. 
Pick 47 was Jordan Yogu of the Cubs. And then pick 48 was the last pick of the fourth round. That was Trevor's selection, Chris McMahon of the Colorado Rockies. Uh, talk to us about that. Obviously, you just saw this huge run of pitchers, five of them in a row. Uh, and then you ended up getting McMahon. Was he your guy here all along? Were there some other guys that you wanted before him or, or kind of what, what went into that decision? Uh, really, I had no idea who I wanted, um, which is pretty typical sure. of me trying to do any sort of draft anytime. Uh, I had absolutely no idea, but I looked and McMahon was still there. Um, I couldn't be happier getting him uh, at the end of the fourth round because I think that he is as high upside pitcher as anybody. He's a college arm. Now, again, he plays for the Rockies, so that is why he fell so far. But if we're talking true talent, um, I, I think he's probably up there uh, with around where Miller is, honestly, in terms of true talent. So if I'm taking Miller at the end of the second and I get McMahon at the end of the fourth, I, I can't really complain about that. And I, I had no intention of taking another pitcher, especially after that big pitcher run. And then I just saw that Chris McMahon was there. And I said, well, I guess I'm going to go with Chris McMahon now. I don't, I don't really have a, uh, a, a backup plan here. I knew who I wanted in my fifth round already. So, um, because I like to make statements in, in mock drafts. So I, my drafts turn out to be not as good, but I get to make the statements I want to make. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of how it happened with McMahon. Um, I also want to touch on Nuogu a little bit. I, You know, I, I, uh, I like Nuogu a lot, but he is about as raw as you're going to get in terms of a college bat. Um, he's very young baseball-wise. He didn't really focus on or play super competitive baseball till college, honestly. and. He was, he was recruited as a uh, uh, defensive lineman, and he looks every bit of it and was the leadoff hitter. So he's obviously got really intriguing skills uh, in terms of raw power, in terms of his speed. His hit tool and his defense are super questionable. So he's going to be a very high-variance player uh, to take in your drafts. Obviously, fourth round, I think he's he's a fine draft pick, but um, you know, he's one of those guys that, that if he puts it together, is going to be a lot of fun, but it's... Uh, long road until that could happen and uh since i have the floor i guess i'll talk about one more player because i took him in the fifth round and that is hayden cantrell the brewers took him in their fifth round also and um obviously this is a, if you're taking a guy who was taking the fifth round like you're probably reaching i get that i love hayden cantrell i loved him going into the draft um i, I think he's if he's not a shortstop maybe he's a center fielder maybe he's a second baseman i don't know but He's a power-speed combination, um, and he showed that off in the Cape. And, uh, you know, evaluator in the Cape, I, I trust, saw him, liked him as well. And I couldn't be higher on Hayden Cantrell and what he could become. And um, one of the things I like is if you look at his college numbers, he didn't really – he walked a lot, and he didn't really strike out a lot. But if you, look, if you actually watch him play and you, you watch some full at-bats from the Cape – he is hyper aggressive. It's just the most interesting concept of him swinging a lot, but also walking a lot and really not missing a lot. So I'm interested to see how his skill set um, translates to pro baseball. And I know I can't explain to you why those numbers look the way they do and his approach is the way it is. It just is an enigma and it's weird, but I'm not questioning it and I can't wait to see him. Uh, and I just wanted to put anyone who listens to this on notice that if you hear the name Hayden Cantrell in a couple of years, you heard it here first. <laughs> you got to you got to pick your guys and establish that you are the person who is talking about them first, you know. You got to you got to start the plant the seeds of your victory lap really early. I get that. I appreciate that. 
Next couple picks, uh, number 50 overall, Slade Ciccone from the Arizona Diamondbacks. Number 51, Alaric Sulari from the Twins. I probably butchered both of those names, hopefully not. Uh, pick 52 was Shelley's again. She went with another player from Cleveland squad, Carson Tucker, shortstop. And not only another Cleveland player, but another player that I was hoping would fall to me. Uh, so unfortunate that I was not able to get Burns or Tucker. Uh, I like this pick for you. Uh, if you want to touch on either of those other guys, uh, let me know. But also Tucker is a guy that I was really excited about trying to get in the fifth round, and I'm bummed that he didn't make it that far. Yeah, like I, I honestly, I had two Cleveland, guy, Cleveland guys on my board. It was either Tucker or the 59th overall pick, uh, PV Halpin, who um, is also pretty interesting. Um, but I just, you know, I just went with, you know, the the shortstop over the outfitter at this point. Um, I mean, I, Tucker, I mean, he's the younger brother of Cole Tucker, who is in the Pirates organization. And what uh, Carson Tucker did during his, you know, his senior year at in, in high school, it was just like totally transform. Um, he has an open stance. He has quick wrist. He's just at weight. He's just looking like the more complete, a really complete player. And that's kind of like, you know, kind of the flyer that you want to take with the, uh, the flyer pick that you want to take with the, uh, 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 you know, round five pick. Um, and I just, honestly, I just believe in Cleveland and how they prioritize middle infield bats and just, honestly just just produce just really really good talent so i was really happy to get uh tucker uh with their 35th overall pick all right we're i got a copy nick pollock here we're running a little low on time uh we're, we're gonna go a bit long and i think that's his his typical phrase uh so for the next few picks i think i'm just gonna do we're gonna list them out we're gonna talk about the ones that we want to talk about and then we can kind of round this thing out uh 53rd overall pick was pedro pineda pineda excuse me 54 was blaze jordan first baseman for the boston red Sox. uh pick 55 was jared schuster from the atlanta braves uh, pick 56, Tomiyuki Sugano, free agent pitcher from Japan. 57, Gage Workman uh, from the Arizona State to the Detroit Tigers, much like Spencer Torkelson. 58 was Casey Martin, shortstop for the Phillies. 59, like Shelley said, Petey Halpin from Cleveland. And then my pick, number 60, CJ Van Eyck for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, Trevor, anybody in this kind of group stand out to you? Obviously, we're kind of at that stage of the draft where, you know, you're not necessarily banking on a ton of production here. You're kind of just taking dart throws. So any of these dart throws that you like more than others? Yeah. And when you're talking dart throws, you're just in my wheelhouse now. I mean, that's I took Hayden <laughs> Cantrell. Talk about your dart throws. But uh, sure. there's, there's a few guys here. Um, Gage Workman, I think, is, is important. I don't have a ton on him, but I think he winds up a shortstop, even though he was a third baseman in college. Uh, and you're banking on his hit bat to come around a little bit more, and I think it could. I'm very excited about Gage Workman. I thought that was a great pick by the Tigers. Um, Blaze Jordan, I'm going to pull out real quick and just mention that if you're worried about Aaron Sabato's hit tool, uh, to multiply that by a 1,000 for Blaze Jordan for me. Um, obviously, he's got the big, big raw power. You've seen him hit 500-foot home runs in batting practice, but, uh, oh man, his hit tool is uh, 
about as raw as it can get, but he's a high school bat. So maybe that comes around. If it does, that's going to be a very fun pick. And the guy that I'll focus on, even though I just listed two others off, um, is Casey Martin. Martin is kind of who I thought the Tigers were going to take at um, uh, when I thought they were going to take a shortstop. And I was really scared for that um, because I hate comps. I think they're messy and dirty and just so important to what we do as, as evaluators. So you have to use them. And uh, this is the first time I think I've had a real clear comp on a guy. And Casey Martin comps to Jacoby Jones for me. Um, okay. And... You know, I didn't just didn't like that for the Tigers necessarily, but he fell a long way in the draft. And for where the the Phillies got him, uh, for real life, I think that um, I think that if you're looking at Casey Martin and you're hope looking at what you're hoping to get, I think you're kind of looking around at Jacoby Jones type uh, level of production if everything works out. Shelly, I know you kind of touched on Halpin a little bit, but was there anybody else in this group that you were particularly uh, interested in? Um, I mean, I guess Sagana for like if you compete like right now, I understand going that route. And I will also echo the uh Blaze Jordan, maybe poop emoji. <laughs> as as a as a Red Sox fan, I've watched video and um uh yeah, we just don't really talk about Blaze Jordan. Um uh, it's uh <laughs> Yeah, uh, but Petey Halpin, I actually think is kind of interesting. Um, you know, he's um, you know a high energy player. He could probably stick on the center field. Um, he makes he has a kind of a short, uh, you know, bat to the ball kind of like line drive swing. Um, but he, this is a guy who could just hit, and I'm hoping that you know Cleveland can, you know kind of get this guy to the major leagues because they need outfield help again like this is a, a very long ways away but i do think this guy can hit and i just the video that i've seen i just really like the swing um and i'm just kind of uh really in love with p helping so i'll touch on a few that we didn't get too much uh pedro pineda is an outfielder who has a lot of tools, but the hit tool is really questionable at this point. Uh, he's certainly not uh, Blaze Jordan or Aaron Sabato in that regard necessarily, but he's like the definition of a dart throw. So I can understand taking a shot on him at this point in the draft, but it's kind of hard to know what, what you're going to get there. Uh, Schuster's uh, advanced college left-hander who... Uh, doesn't have I, I think he's okay but i'm a little low on him he was drafted 25th overall which uh, i think will probably make him go f a little higher in first year player mocks than i'd be willing to take him um but we just haven't seen a lot of consistency from his secondaries which has me a little bit worried uh, and then the final pick of the draft was mine cj van eyck from the toronto blue jays uh, there's a lot of risk here with Van Eyck. I think his profile kind of looks a lot like a guy who's going to be a future reliever, uh, which obviously doesn't do you a ton of good in dynasty leagues, but he pitched really well at Florida State uh, outside of some command issues, which uh, are going to need to be corrected for him to be anything um, of a lot of value in dynasty leagues. But there is some kind of I made some comparisons to him to Lance McCullers just in the terms of what their breaking stuff looks like and a little bit mechanically. Uh, I think that's probably like a, a pretty high ceiling for Van Eyck. I'm not uh, 
saying that he's going to get there or that I'm even very confident that he'll uh, reach that. But I think that there's some intrigue here. And he's a guy that I was, I was really close between him or Tyler Keenan from Ole Miss, uh, who's with the Seattle Mariners, but I felt like I should probably take at least one pitcher because I had only taken hitters up to this point. Um, so Van Eyck is who I went with, but there was a handful of guys that I was considering at that last spot as well. Right. Unless you guys have any last thoughts or want to criticize any of my picks since I didn't give you the opportunity to do so, I think we can probably wrap this thing up. Yeah. Andy, uh, first of all, how dare you? Um, <laughs> oh man. <laughs> office references. No, I mean, really, this was a, a great exercise. These are tough to do sometimes. And, uh, you know, I, I think that I drafted this mock draft completely opposite of how I would do a real life one. Um, because I do worry about guys in Colorado and guys in, in with the Dodgers in Los Angeles. And um, I would probably not take Hayden Cantrell, but I would be watching him very closely. So um, that's one of part of the good things about these mocks is, is you can kind of see some things like that. And, and, you know, if you are getting Chris McMahon at the end of the fourth round, good on you. I mean, I think that you'll, I think that's about as good a pick as you're going to be able to get. So um, really interesting to see where a lot of these guys uh, have gone and it's just tough sometimes. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. I think I, you know, I'm, for me, some of the things that were interesting is seeing like how far how far Kierstad fell. Like that's something that I'm definitely going to be paying attention to in future mock drafts uh, or future actual first year player drafts. You know, and uh, yeah, and I think you know you you touched on a McMahon obviously, and uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to kind of see where some of these guys might fall and and how certain people draft because you know you as a dynasty owner out there you may have a way different way of evaluating a a dylan dingler or a patrick bailey because you desperately need catching or you know it, it's just kind of everybody's a little bit different but uh, i hope for anybody out there listening that this can at least help them kind of frame some of the prospects that they're considering taking in their first year player drafts right well that is going to do it for us today thank you guys so much for tuning in and we'll talk to you again soon